generally speaking, when somebody feels that you win, that also implies if there's a winner, there's a loser. And if it's just you and them and you've won, that further implies that they lost, right? And so if you can't make this something other than a zero-sum game, game, your gain is their loss. Welcome to The Lensetter Show, the show that blends the art of sales, the science of success, and the strategies of real experts in the mortgage and sales industries to help you grow your client base, increase your revenue, and get in control of your life. I'm your host, Preston Schmidley. Kick back, enjoy the episode, and don't forget to subscribe. What's going on, friends? Preston Schmidley here with The Lensetter Show, and today I have a special guest, one of my good friends in the mortgage industry, Hammer J. Helmer of Originator Success. Uh, Hammer, thanks for joining me today and uh, hopping on The Lensetter Show. Um, we got a lot of fun stuff to talk about here, but, but for those that may not know you, because my goal is obviously to distribute this through every you know deep, dark crevice of the mortgage industry, um, for those that may, may not know you and what you do, why don't you talk a little bit about, um, you know, you got you, you originator success, which obviously you're helping people with brand presence. You got the daily rate update uh, thing that you do. Um, why don't you just kind of lay the foundation so those that may not know you um, have a framework to understand you, and then we'll just take this where it goes. Awesome. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Preston. Appreciate being on the yeah. podcast. And uh, yeah, I mean, up until about eight weeks ago, I actually was a car salesman. And got into the mortgage business because a friend of mine said I could make a lot of money. So, um, yeah, no, uh, I've been in the business for about 23 years. I was an originator for over a decade. I was an executive for about five years. And then I started Originator Success mainly because I got tired of red tape being an executive and dealing with all the compliance stuff. What I really love doing is helping originators to write more loans. And we've evolved over the years, but right now what we do is... We help a lot of originators get loans from Google and social media. We focus on helping them build their online brand presence, meaning being found on Google, being found on social media. We help them generate reviews. We post some content for them, and we even got some email campaigns to keep them in front of their past clients, their prospects, and their real estate agents. Um, also, as you mentioned, I have been in the rate game for years. Uh, it's been about it's been about 13 years ago that I helped start RateAlert.com. Not affiliated with them at all, not promoting them, but that was where I started and started really, you know, educating originators about the markets. And not that you need to be an expert, know everything about everything. You don't need to know all those fancy Japanese candlestick patterns and all that stuff. What you really just need to do is be able to talk about rates and know which direction things are going. So we do a daily email, we do a daily Facebook Live, and we've got, even got an alert service to help protect your pipeline. So that's kind of the ins and the outs about me. Okay. And uh, let's dive into, I know one of the things you and I have talked about in the past, you know, obviously we're both marketers uh, of different flavors, right? And I think there's a lot of cohesion between how we help loan officers and how you help loan officers, uh, different sides of the same coin, really. Um, but uh, one of the important things that I've seen, I actually remember, you know, this got this got us to start taking uh, uh, uh you know, consideration on brand presence, right? I remember I had a conversation with one of our members. This is like maybe three years ago now. And he was just saying, you know, I'm, I'm getting hundreds of leads, Preston, but I, I feel like I have great conversations and then these people are ghosting me. So I'm like, huh, okay, well, that's that's not a normal, you know, if you're having great conversations, then we have a sales process problem, right? So I, so I started diving into some research and I just typed in his name and the, literally the first thing that came up was um, one of those like criminal records 
pages for his name. And, and, and I'm like, well, so, um, you know, usually when people are going to buy something or thinking about buying something, they Google and do a little research. And, you know, if you Google your name, this is what comes up. And he got super pissed. And he was like, I was not convicted. I was like, bro, they don't care if you were convicted. They care that that's the first thing that comes up when they look you up. And so this actually was the first uh, thing that kind of made that surface uh, in my world. And, and McBean and I were like, oh, this is critical. Like, you can have all the leads in the world. And if this is what the first thing people are seeing, you got problems, you know. So talk to us a little bit about brand presence, the importance of that, and uh, some of the things that you feel um, maybe you've been able to do to, co to combat the problems that I just kind of mentioned, or, or even maybe there's not a problem and that's the problem itself is there's nothing when you search it. Right. So w what are some of the things that you feel you've done to, uh, uh, help loan officers increase their brand presence and, and, uh, on their own online profiles? So I'm, I'm going to answer that, but I'm going to share a very similar story first to tell you that one of our longtime members, when he came to us, one of our most challenging scenarios is that he shares a unique last name with a pedophile, convicted pedophile. Oh, this is not our member. Uh, however, yeah, when same kind of a thing when people would Google him and then oh, he was in a geographic area. So it was really oh. hard to overcome, but we, we did, we were able to, to get through this, but yeah, that was, that was wow. a big one. So again, I've been in the, the industry for 23 years when I wrote loans, um, our idea of the internet was dancing cowboys. I don't know if you remember those ads. They were the uh, the low rate, I think it was low rate.com ads. Um, and they would have the dancing cowboy, silhouette cowboys and things like that was the internet. And the internet today, though, everybody that is going to work with you, whether they've been referred to you from a real estate agent, whether they have been referred from a past client, they're going to want to know that you are okay to work with. They're going to be vending you out. The way that we vet people out is they go to Google. So they're going to go and they're going to Google your name. Generally, they're going to Google your name and the word mortgage. And that's that's usually what we have found through analytics to be the most- That makes sense. And when they do, you want to make sure as an originator that you've got a few things in place. So first of all, you got to recognize the platforms that are out there that have strength in social media and SEO. So of course it starts with Google and you want to have a Google business profile. That's the name. It used to be called a Google My Business. Before that it was Google Places. And I've watched this thing evolve for probably about seven years now, right? And it's called Google Business Profile. And it's important to recognize that because what Google is doing is they're moving all of that information onto their platform where they can kind of control it and build on it and creating an actual profile. So you want to make sure that that profile is complete. You may not even have set it up. We're finding that Google recently, and again, I don't actively do this stuff anymore like you, Preston. I mean, I stay very fingers deep on it so I know what's going on, but my team is the one that handles this. And sure. That we, on our team call yesterday, they were telling me that we had somebody who recently was getting calls for equal housing opportunity, and it was very strange. And if you Googled him, if you Googled his phone number, it was. If you Googled his phone number, 
It was actually coming up for a Google listing called Equal Housing Opportunity. Google had created this custom listing. So Google may create a listing about you and you may not even know that it exists, right? So they created this listing. It was a really strange scenario. And thankfully, our team was able to get that removed very quickly because he was getting a lot of phantom calls and and weird things. So anyway, you want to make sure that you have a Google business profile set up and you want to make sure that you are the owner of that Google business profile, not your company, not your best friend not your marketing company. They could be on there too, but you want to make sure that that it all starts with being you as the actual owner on that. Second thing is you want to look for the two most prominent social media platforms, LinkedIn and Facebook. Now, very few originators are going to get loans from LinkedIn. Some of you do, and you've got systems for that, and that's fantastic, but you're generally not going <laughs> to going to go to LinkedIn to look for a mortgage person. LinkedIn's tried to do this, and it hasn't really taken off. However, LinkedIn has huge search engine optimization, and they're going to come up on that listing. So if you had somebody like your scenario, where when they Google them, negative things are coming up, you, you can't get rid of those negative things. But what you can do is push them down the bottom of the page. So you want to make sure that there's a lot more better information. Right. So you got to provide Google with that. So you want to have a strong LinkedIn profile. You want to make sure you're completing your about section. Have your contact information in that about section. People that are not connected to you on LinkedIn are not going to see your contact section with your actual contact information. So they want to make you know little tricks like that. Uh, another one, again, being on Facebook, having a Facebook business page. Let's face it, Facebook's still the 800-pound gorilla when it comes to a lot of social media. Um, Facebook business pages are not generally going to have a long algorithm reach. They're not going to get you in front of a lot of people, but they do come up in the search rankings and right. people click on them. So what they want you want to do is make sure that you have relevant content that's been timely. Um, you know, like for our members, we post a weekly rate forecast every Monday and it's on their Facebook page so that they have new content. The other thing that we do is we take any of their reviews, we turn them into an actual image post, post that on their Facebook page. You want to make sure that that Facebook page is dialed in for credibility, for reputation. Right. Um, that's what people are going to see. So, you know, that's why what's important on those things is kind of a good starting point any originator can do. And then once you get into some of these services where they talk about, you know, being all over the place like Yext and they say citation management and those things, believe it or not, in the mortgage space, we actually avoid those. They can work very well in other industries, but in the mortgage space, what they do is they lead to a lot of spam. And they lead to a lot of advertising. So people are clicking, looking for you. And instead they're seeing rocket ads and they're seeing, you know, other ads for other mortgage companies. So you want to avoid those um, areas and those services and kind of kind of start out there. But I do agree with you that whether someone is going online to, you know, Google to look for a mortgage lender, look for a mortgage broker, or whether they have one in mind and they're doing their research, you've got to have a strong online profile. Yeah. I, um, um, there, there was actually a, you were mentioning that, you know, Facebook is not going to have, uh, a strong, like essentially organic reach, which is true. Facebook essentially has made business pages Unless you put coins in the machine, nobody's seeing this, right? Um, not not organically, at least. Um, but you know, I've even noticed when I like when just I Google Good Vibe Squad just periodically to see what comes up. Um, it's an easy way to see how many reviews we got too. And uh, I've actually noticed it looks like Google is is kind of taking the Facebook like reviews and ratings, and they've put it with our. Uh, I, I guess you could say our public GMB profile, right? So. Um, it was kind of interesting how they, I guess you could say, adopted that information and it, it's kind of that cohesive, cohesive like GMB experience, which I, I found to be 
Um, and when I say GMB for the listeners, that's Google My Business, which is essentially what Hammer's talking about um, on, uh, um, you know, uh, what used to be like Google Places and stuff like that. So um, and, that's and also- Remember though, and, and, and I'm going to jump in on this. Remember, the reason I said that it's so important to recognize that it's not Google My Business anymore and it's Google Business Profile mm-hmm. is what you just said. They're actually pulling in information from other sources to pull in <clears> reviews. So right now, uh, Facebook huge, huge problem with the Facebook review platform for business pages. It used to be that generating reviews on Facebook was fantastic. Uh, they have a huge spam problem. Facebook has no sure. interest whatsoever in in actually addressing it. And in fact, what it's done is it's made Facebook reviews totally useless because even if you get a good review from a true person, they get buried in this wave of spam Forex and crypto reviews that are coming through, right? So we recently, in fact, recently being today, we just issued a, uh, you know, an announcement out to our people that we're no longer promoting their reviewers to leave their review on Facebook. And, you know, unless something major happens that Facebook actually takes action on this, we're, we're pulling them away. But what's funny is <clears throat> spam Facebook reviews are always five star, thankfully, because this could be 10 times worse. Oh, it'd be detrimental. Thankfully, they're five star. So what will happen is somebody will look at your Google business profile and they see other reviews and and there's a section that says, I think it says reviews around the web or something like something that. Something like that, yeah. And they, they see that Facebook and it says, you know, five out of five, 130 reviews for Good Vibe Squad. And, you know, it's, it's funny because unfortunately, if you looked at them, a hundred of them are from Bangladesh. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, be, Mrs. Thompson is great with my money and here's my WhatsApp number. And, you know, but it really, it does look good to Google. I've seen this. And it's part, of, it's part of that breadcrumb sphere where uh, Google is actually pulling data everywhere. And it helps to get your Google business profile higher because you've got these other things set up and they are actually, you know, being pulled in. We actually had a prospect once that kind of went up in arms about that. He goes, you guys buy a bunch of fake reviews. I'm like, bro, the last thing I'm doing is paying for reviews talking about Forex and crypto, bro. Like that that's not my objective here. And that number leads nowhere to me. That's that's the closest that you're ever going to be to a Nigerian prince. I would not call that number. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, it's funny is we handle, you know, we handle the review process for literally hundreds and hundreds of originators. And we've reported well over a thousands at this point of these fake reviews. And I can't say that in the last few months that we've gotten a single, seen a single one removed. So, Wait, so are you saying that Facebook doesn't provide a lot of support to people that use their platform? Is that, it's amazing, right? I know, I know you guys do Facebook advertising, so you probably, you know, you probably get the best support ever because you're giving them money, actually, even that. Tell everybody the truth about that. Yeah, no, I I mean, we spend millions of dollars a year on Facebook and, uh, um, I have to damn near become a member of somebody's family internally to, to to even get attention. You know, it's, it's, it's mind blowing actually how they're, how they're a business because most of their businesses, if you had that kind of, you know, if you treated people that way, it'd be like, um, we're not doing business anymore, but you know, there, there it's, it's an abusive relationship of sorts. It's like, I, we get results, so we stay, but I mean, you know, at the first, at the first sign of another platform outperforming, we're, we're gone, you know, yeah, yeah. but, and that'll be a similar thing though. Just <clears throat> the, the pure size of these organizations. We have the same problem because, you know, for a lot of our members, we handle getting things fixed with Google and the big problems with Google right now 
Number one, they'll suspend those Google business profiles. So for originators out there that are listening, be careful. Uh, number one, don't make multiple changes at a time. It used to be that when we would get a new member, we'd go in and audit their Google business profile if they had one, and we would make lots of updates based on all of our experience on what's going to help them to rank higher and, and get better conversion. And we could just go in and make all these changes. Now, if you go in and make one, two, three changes at a time, anything above that first change, all of a sudden suspended, right? And you're like, well, what happened? And it's because Google recognized that businesses, well, I call it a business, but, you know, hucksters were actually getting Google business profiles ranked and then selling them. And then right. they would change all the information to another business. So that's why that's been a big issue. The other big complaint we get right now, and this is why, although reviews, online reviews, hugely, hugely important, we actually use a two-step process. We have an internal platform that we actually get people to leave the review on. They don't have to log in. We do have you know different things set up to make sure we're not getting spam reviews and that they're authentic, but these are all authentic reviews, but we make it easy for somebody to leave the review. And then once they've started that process, we say, would you please go ahead and share that review on Google? The reason we do that is because we found that number one, if we say to somebody, Hey, you know, Preston, um, did I do a great job? And you say, yeah, you did a great job, Hammer. I say, okay, great. Would you mind leaving me a Google review? And you're like, no problem, bro. And then I say, all right, great. I'm going to send you the link. And then I send you the link and you click on it and you're not logged in. And you're like, ah, I got to look up my password. I'll do it later. Well, Anything else happens and pulls you out of the process. Yeah. 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 And there's no way to track that somebody has actually left a review on Google because you could be like Preston is awesome, you know, is your Google name. I don't I don't know what it is. There's no way for me to track that. So we found that on average, you would get maybe one out of five of those people that leave a review on Google. So instead, we found that if you go through the process the way that we do it, we get internal reviews. We can actually see that they start the process. And because they've started the process, it's a micro commitment. Big rule of sales, if you get somebody to start taking action, they'll continue with that action. So if they do have to look up a, a, a password, they'll take an extra moment because they're already in the middle of the process. And they'll say, okay, let me just finish this. And we find that they do that. So we get it to about I'm going to say one out of three generally. Um, some some of our originators, we get it a little bit higher. But even, even that, it's a huge number more that get those reviews on Google. But then we hit another problem. Sometimes you'll have people post a review for you on Google and it doesn't show up. The person thinks they posted it, they see it, but nobody else does. And that, that review has been suppressed. And that's the problem about being on someone else's platform is that it's their game, their football. And their algorithm... You know, it's amazing. You, they let in some of the worst spam reviews, but yet, an, you know, honest reviews. We've seen members lose 5, 10, 15 reviews that just disappear because Google, you know, just quietly suppresses them, makes them disappear. They hide them and you don't know they exist. So anyway, we're, you know, that that was where I was going with that one. It's just that, um, you know, you've got to be aware of of what is or isn't going to work on these platforms and recognize that True. we want to get the best bang for the buck from them. But, you know, you're not going to get support. You're not going to get help. And when you send in that that support ticket and say, hey, Google, this is an honest review, you, you may, if you get a reply, it's it's fantastic and it's going to be some kind of canned response from their yeah. first level support. And, you know, people, our, our members get very frustrated. So thankfully we handle a lot of that. And even us, we built some relationships, like you said, about being in, in somebody's family because we have, you know, sent hundreds and hundreds of these tickets. We know some of the members who are more responsive and we keep those and we'll like, for sure, kind of like rotate through them. Like when we hit a problem with our members, 
Yeah. Our, our, one of my guys, Austin, he's like, he's like, yeah, I sent that one to this one and this one to that one because he knows who will solve the problem for him. So yeah, it's, you it's, have to do that. You, know? you do have to do that. You you had said something that, that I'd like to orbit around and 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 uh, circle back on for it real quick. So um, you had said you know you don't want to change a lot of stuff on your on your uh, Google Business profile, and uh, I. I I've seen that happen negatively, but um, it does beg the question because, you know, the tenure in the mortgage industry is not great, right? So people change where they hang their license every, I, th I think I read something that said 17 months and I don't know how accurate that is, but uh, I mean, just from my time, my career history. That sounds, that sounds about right because I remember changing companies five times and it was about 18 months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so okay. So, so that kind of validates that. So, I mean, that obviously, you know, and this kind of goes back to your citation thing. Um, you know, when you were talking about that, I was like, I actually think, I mean, you didn't mention this, but it seems to me if you did citations, problems that you mentioned aside, if I'm changing place I am every 18 months, I just added a massive chore every year and a half to myself to maintain all these citations and listings, um, you know. So one thing that I'm curious about, though, because we know this industry has a lot of, um, I don't want to say turnover, even though it does. I'm talking specifically people are kind of figuring out their own path between where they're hanging their license. It's, it's like a sports league. We have a lot of free agents. That's a great perspective. Yeah. So so for somebody like that, okay, well, how do I? So let's say I, I went from being retail to broker or you know broker to retailer, less common, but let's just say that that happens. I got to make these changes. So how do I navigate this without getting essentially blacklisted? Okay, so so I'm going to answer this in two parts. The first part is the best way to make the changes is to not have to make the changes. In other words, when member when people come to us, we discourage them from putting their company name in their Google business profile name. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm discouraging you from representing your company. We put it on their logo. We put their company and their NMLS and their company's NMLS on their logo. We put companies in the description. There's other places to put them where they have much less of an effect than mm. in the actual name. So if you're going to have a Google business profile, and I'm going to use you know just some examples of, of one of our uh, ambassador members that he doesn't mind that we use his name is, say, Jeff Garber. Jeff Garber is... You know, he's a mortgage originator in Pennsylvania. And it's if you Google Jeff Garber mortgage, you're going to find Jeff's info. Now, Jeff has changed companies, you know, and, and when he did, there was no need to make changes to those. We made changes in the description, which right. set off. You delete a photo, you put a new one up. Exactly. Some new stuff like that. So guys, <clears throat> you want to try, if you're going to make a change, make it to something more agnostic. There's now Google again, and this is where just like on guidelines, right? We're constantly with our hands in the cookie jar. So we know what's going on all the time. As an originator, your job should be going out and finding loans or getting them closed. You can't worry about what Google's doing all the time. That's why you pay somebody like us to, to manage it. But if you are like managing it right now, Google didn't used to care about the naming. You could get away with anything. You could say Jeff Garber, best mortgage, low rate lender, Pennsylvania, Bucks County, right? You could throw this in the name. Just and, SEO the crap out of it. <laughs> yeah, right? Like it, and it didn't matter. Well, now that'll get you suspended, right? That'll right. They'll, they'll just eliminate that. So Google has a very strict naming convention. It's in their guidelines. But basically, you can get away with a little bit, right? So for Jeff Garber, what we would say is Jeff Garber, common mortgage lender, if he's because he is in retail and they want to be identified as a lender. Uh, if you are a broker, Jeff Garber, mortgage broker. We used to put the NMLS in there. Guess what? Recently, I would say recently, but uh, I would 
maybe a year ago, Google started just randomly a lot of our, our Google business profiles. We read by trial and error, we identified it to be the NMLS number. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they basically identified that if there was a number in the name of the business, why is that number there? And so we've stopped putting the NMLS number in the name because again, I always like to put it there. It was just one more compliance sure. step, but we do have it all over the description, know, the, the photos, the, yeah, yeah. The description and the photo. Exactly. You wanted to keep it prominent, but you got to recognize that, yeah, we've got regulators that set these rules, but the regulators aren't the companies. Google is Google. Google doesn't give a rat's ass what the CFPB For sure. So, you know, we, we have to do things like that. So if you have to make changes, make them so that they become something that represents you as the individual or something you're going to stay consistent as. Uh, if you use a team name or things like that, so that if you do change companies, you don't have to make a lot of changes. Yeah. And then when you have to make changes, make the changes one at a time over the course of maybe a week of a, of a grace period. So go in and change the name. Don't change anything else. Give it a week. Then you can go in and change maybe, you know, the website, if you're changing your website or the, the, the phone number. And of course, the biggest thing is going to be the address. And if you change an address, it's going to trigger a re-verification requirement and verifying with Google could be a pain. You know, they mail out these postcards and yet sometimes the postcards never show up again and again and again. Um, you may have to do videos. You may have to provide pictures of where you've got your signage. Another big thing we used to tell originators, and this was big for real estate agents too. We used to say, if you're working in an office with a lot of originators and you want something closer to home, use a Google business address, use your home address, right? And you could get listed that way. Well, you can still do that, but you have to hide the address and it becomes what's called a service area business instead of a brick and mortar business. Right. So when you change the address, that's going to be a big one. And it can lead to suspensions, especially if you are putting in, you know, different um, PO box services, UPS stores, Regency, you know, uh, the rental, rental offices, those can all create a little bit of a, a headache. So those are things you got to be careful on or avoid. Okay. Um, that makes sense for somebody switching company. What What are some, okay, I want you to imagine your average loan officer, which like you said, um, we have our hands in the cookie jar. They don't. Been, I think we would both agree they shouldn't, right? Because mm -hmm. it's not a full-time job. It's a job and a half. I mean, I run a team of 60, right? At, at, we have a very hands-on service. Um, I know you have a team as well. Um, you know, we're... We're we're like barely riding the wave, right? And it's like, dude, yeah. you're a you're an originator with a full time job, and you're trying to stay on top of this. It's gonna change faster than you can ever learn it, right? Yeah, um, I, mean, I have my team providing me weekly reports with this is what's been changing, this is what's doing. We have live calls and reports that come in. Right. That I can actually read, so I can stay on, to, on, on right. top of it. So so a loan officer so that's that's in that situation, right, where they they don't have the means, nor should they try to do all of this himself. Um, as far as what, you know, as far as staying on top of what they should do, right? Let's say they're at the beginning of their journey, their budgets are low, but what are some things that they can quickly do that doesn't require a heavy understanding of all of this to get some baseline presence set up? 
that Google business profile is number one. It's not difficult to set up, um, but you want to make sure that that's set up. Number two is that Facebook business page for the reasons we discussed. Number three is their LinkedIn profile. Make sure those are dialed in. That's that's where they want to start as far as an organic search presence for people that are either looking to find out more about them or possibly for them just picking up the random loan because somebody's going online to look for a mortgage. No, I love that. And that's, uh, those are all free. So, I mean, that's just fantastic advice. I mean, you know, if, if budgets are concerned, then, then that, that allays that, that fear. Uh, the, you know, one thing that, that I, just from my perspective, doing a lot of, I mean, you know, direct response, direct consumer marketing for the last greater part of a decade. Um, you know, one of the things I've observed is how critical, and this is what I was saying earlier, you know, we're two sides of the same coin, how critical it is to have that brand presence because, um, I can't remember where I read this. Maybe it was maybe it was um, influenced by Robert Cialdini, but um, essentially, there's a part, a primitive part of our brain, right? We have evolved biologically much slower than we've evolved technologically, right? So, you know, the the analogy is if you were to, let's just say that the power grid went down, the water the water system stopped working, it would be about seventy two hours after the food spoils. After we, we, we were dehydrated, we're running out of water, the stores have been ransacked. It'd be about 72 hours, you know, before we return to how primitive we really are, right? So we have a lot of safety nets around us psychologically that allow us to be civilized. But a week of that uncivilization happening, I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know if you remember the, the fire Festival, but seeing pictures of how people were like starting to become in absence of resources... We're, we're this close to being back in the animal kingdom at any given time, right? We just have a lot of luxuries that prevent us or, or shield us from that. But one of the things that um, I think it was Cialdini talked about is remembering um, that nobody wants to be the person to find out if the berries are poisonous to eat. So there's a part of us biologically ingrained deep in our brain that knows if we eat the wrong berry, we may die. And it's not a good death. It ain't quick. And it's not pleasant, right? And so we approach strange things that we're unfamiliar with very hesitantly, right? And it's actually safer to go another day of starvation potentially than choosing the wrong berry, right? And so that having that in our brain, it's kind of the 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 it's a safety mechanism biologically that prevents us from taking action on certain things, right? So the way that this shows up in a buying cycle is the the borrower, the prospect, um, you know, they see any sort of negativity. They go, you know what? I'll, we'll just keep renting, right? They see any they see any reason to leave and they go, yeah, this just, just ain't worth it. I'd rather starve another day than eat the wrong berry, right? And I don't blame them because buying a house for a lot of people may be the largest transaction they are ever a part of, right? So the stakes are high. If they make a bad financial decision, it could mean, it could mean generations of their bloodline paying the price, or I mean, there's a lot that goes into this, right? And yeah. so having, like being seen as somebody worth working with, being seen as somebody safe to work with, being seen as the berry bush that's safe to eat from essentially is not nice to have. It's not optional. This is a requirement of business because I've seen a lot of people that have either no brand presence or like we talked about at the beginning of this uh, podcast, criminal records things yeah. popping up. It's like, dude, there, there's no amount of leads that, I mean, there is, but there's no economical amount of leads 
that is going to help you overcome the friction you're introducing from not being seen as safe to work with. And I don't think that that can be overstated. It's it's a requirement, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Especially if you have outgoing lead generation, if you are generating leads, those people, you know, they said they think to themselves subconsciously, you came to me, I need proof on why I want to work with you. And mm-hmm. they may entertain the beginning of the conversation and you would think that, hey, they get comfortable. But one of the the things that most of our originators, if we don't train them, if you will, to ask, they're always amazed at. So anybody can pick up the phone and someone says, hey, I'm looking to get a mortgage. And they're like, oh, great. How did you hear about me? Well, I found you on Google. Oh, fantastic. I got a lead from Google. This people just randomly found me. That's great. Well, what they don't realize is when someone says, well, I got referred to you from this real estate agent or, um, you know, with your system, if they're getting passed along and there's, you know, now, now it's somebody that was an outgoing and now they're, you know, they're, they're a pass off. And that person, if you ask them when you talk to them and you say, let me ask you a question. Did you happen to Google me? You will find, I'd like to say it's nine times out of 10, but it's even more than that. It's like 9.6 out of 10. That somebody will say, oh, yeah, I did. They will Google you before they even reach out to you because they want to know if you're an axe murderer, if you're going to rush off with their money. You know, especially something like getting a mortgage. This isn't buying a TV off Costco. This is something that, you know, they've got a lot emotionally invested in. It's they're concerned about being taken advantage of. And when we're unfamiliar with the process, most consumers are unfamiliar with getting a mortgage. It's not something they do often. It creates fear. Just like if I buy a car, how often do I buy a car, right? And when I say creates fear, it's not panic, but there is an anxiety or a fear of being taken. If I go, if I go buy a car and I say, you know, hey, I have this preconceived notion that the salesperson is going to try to raise the price of the car so that they can make more money. And now this is an adversarial relationship. And that's how people still view getting a mortgage. They think that it's an adversarial relationship. They think that the person on the other end of the phone is going to try to raise their fees and raise their rates. And, you know, what they're doing is they're putting themselves in a position. They're saying like, okay, I'm ready to battle. What you need to do is, is, you know, put yourself on their side. And one of the best ways to do that is with the reviews, the testimonials, the social proof, where you could say, hey, these are what my, you know, what my previous clients have already said. Did you read my reviews on Google? Have you seen my, you know, posts about, you know, different clients that I've helped, that kind of a thing. And now that that lets their guard down because they can check those boxes that you're not going to take advantage of them, right. that you're going to be on their side, that you've got their best interests at heart kind of. It's a good point that you bring up, you know, so the, the, I haven't called it that before the adversarial relationship, but I've, I've often talked about how mortgage doesn't have to be a zero sum game. Um, you know, but, but, I, but I do consult and coach a lot of loan officers, uh, uh, you know, brokerage owners, uh, uh, branch managers about the idea that, um, generally speaking, when somebody feels that you win, that also implies if there's a winner, there's a loser. And if it's just you and them and you've won, that further implies that they lost, right? And so if you can't make this something other than a zero-sum game, game, your gain is their loss, right? And and that is, you know, it's like people talk, you know, I, I, 
I, I hear this a lot is that, you know, people, pe- you know, people are just, they blow with the wind with rate. And it's like, there's a threshold. Yes. But people seek price in the absence of value and value is a concept based on need. And if somebody that gets, you know, a 10th of a percent better, they go somewhere else. There was insufficient value to retain. I've seen plenty of loan officers in the last, you know, five plus years of doing this where they are so inherently valuable to the process that a quarter percent better, a half a percent better didn't get the person to leave. They had all reason to economically, but the service was worth the price. If I can, when you're ready, I want to build. No, go for it. Okay. So, you know, you're, you're a thousand percent correct. And again, I, I have written loans. So the idea of, well, I sell my service, you know, people, that's the unicorn. When you find somebody that believes that there is a better rate available, but will stay with somebody, even though there's that financial difference, there is that unicorn. I won't disagree with you, but what I will say is that it's a lot easier to create doubt in the mind of a consumer about this advertised rate that those of us know is not really there. Sure. Right. And so, and to eliminate this conversation of comparison altogether by, by having great reviews, great testimonials. And most consumers, like, again, if they, let's say it's a real estate agent giving out three cards, they're going to Google those three people and decide which one person they're going to contact, contact by phone, text, Facebook Messenger, however they're going to talk to them, they're going to contact them. They're only looking to contact one. People don't want to compare. They don't like those conversations. You sure. know, there's 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 every once in a while you get somebody that that digs that, but most people don't want to be bothered. They don't want to be here. So it's what work. they're doing is it's not only is it work, it's just emotionally uncomfortable. We're not sure. equipped to that. You know, you and I have a little bit of an age difference and 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 then you and the Gen Z has another age difference. And we've kind of watered down that whole um, conflict resolution thing over the years to where people feel like there's a conflict just by shopping around. They feel like that is a conflict situation and they'll avoid it. So anyway, if you want to eliminate those conversations about your rate being an eighth of a point different or a quarter point different, have a better online presence so that you win the conversation because yeah. the other conversations aren't even going to occur. And that's, <clears throat> that's what I tried to explain to a lot of originators is that you've got you've to win that conversation. And rather than me, if I say to Preston, Preston, I am awesome. I am going to get you closed on time. I have great rates and I give you great service. Well, you expect me to say that. So, you know, on a scale of one to 10, you're give that a validity score of 1.6. But when you start reading reviews from other people, it's neuro-linguistic programming. And those reviews, if, if other people are reinforcing it over and over and over, well, now all of a sudden that credibility score goes up to six, seven, eight. And, you know, it could be the exact same words, but coming from somebody else. And what's funny is if I say, you know, Preston, I wrote this book and I'm an author or a published author about this. Well, that lends some kind of a credibility to me. Yeah. My credibility goes up. If I say, as seen on CNBC, yeah. if I've been on Squawk Box, if, well, that gives me some kind of credibility. And you go scratch your head and you go, really? Why? When you think about it, you're like, why? But yet it does. In our minds, we still kind of give that. And most consumers today are going to give a lot of credibility to the reviews. If we tell that they're authentic reviews and that we see enough of them, more than just a couple. And a lot of times 
believe it or not, some people will even look for your negative review just so they can see if that person's crazy. So a lot of originators are like, I don't want any negative reviews on there. I don't, if I don't actually great. Star on a star, I'd rather have a 4.9 than a five. And exactly. It's more authentic. It's more real. You know, yeah. what's funny is I have one person from over the years that said, uh, that gave us a negative review. And he went on and bought two more products from us. It's like, you scratch your head and you're like, you gave me a negative review, but you keep buying from me. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like, like, and I've always left it up there because it always makes me laugh because, you know, and then everybody knows, and, and let's actually make this a little bit of value for people. So let's say you do get- That's that. so funny, bro. It's like the relationship, you know, you shouldn't be in, but the sex is so good. You can't, <laughs> you gotta keep going yeah, back. I have another story. We'll keep that far off the podcast. So the, um, but let, let's go ahead and say you did get a negative review. Your first response right. to a negative review is to be thorough in your answer. Let's say you get a Google review and Preston says, you know, Hammer um, didn't return my phone call. And then when I finally got a call back, he said that I was going to, you know, pre-qualify for this loan and I wouldn't have a problem as, you know, but then uh, I sent him my documents and all of a sudden there's an issue and now we're not closing. Well, that's what they put out there, right? And, and you know, my first reaction might be to respond with the truth and say, well, Preston, I, I, you know, you did have a hard time getting a hold of me because you called me at 1130 at night and I don't answer my phone at 1130 at night when I'm sleeping. Uh, however, I did return your call immediately the next day at 830 in the morning. And when we did talk, I said to you that I could pre-qualify you based on the things that you were telling me, but a pre-qualification and a pre-approval are different and I needed your documents. And then you took three weeks to get me your documents. And when I finally did see your pay stub and I saw that you were on commission and you had child support taken out that you didn't tell me about, we weren't able to qualify you for the house that you already tried putting in an offer on. Well, that's the problem. So originators here, they know where I'm going. They know this story. They know that it was never actually my fault. The problem is you can't say that on Google, right? What you want to do, here's your, your actionables. If you guys ever get a, a negative Google review, less is more. You need to remember that number one, less is more. Number two, you need to remember your audience. You're not actually, I'm not trying to convince Preston that I did the right thing. I'm not arguing with Preston. What I'm doing is I have a small window to put a for other people reading the review so that they can look yeah. at it and decide, was this person crazy or was this person right and I want to avoid working with Hammer? So the way that you do that is you say, Preston, thank you for your concerns. I'm sorry that you had a negative experience. In order to protect your privacy, I'd rather not release any details here publicly. However, I'm always here to help and work with you if you'd like to reach out to me personally. Now, what's funny is Preston's not going to call me back, but anybody Preston. reading that is like, well, yeah, you know, hey, Preston's a Karen. Can't help but, you know, this guy answered that. How, how could, this is the way that I want to be treated if I have a negative experience. I want somebody to hear me out. I want somebody to offer help. Okay, good. This is, this checks the boxes. So if right. you get a negative review, that those are some key phrases of to protect your privacy. I love that term on a review. To protect your privacy, I'd rather not share any details here, but I'm always available to talk to you about it directly. And that's all you need to, because what do people want? They want to, this is money stuff. They want to keep their private matter private. They don't, if they have a bad time, they certainly don't want you going on there telling them that, you know, that, you, that they have child support, right? They, they don't want you to, we all see ourselves in that. So if you ever get a negative review, put your emotion away answer it in a way that it's not for the person that left it for you. It's for the people that are sure. sure to read it afterwards.
Yeah. And there's a few things that just uh, uh, because I know, you know, obviously our, our audience is primarily originators and, uh, you know, not necessarily marketers. I, I would imagine there are going to be some marketers, but uh, the, what Hammer was just talking about ties into a few concepts. Right. So and I'm going to break these down to kind of give some education on this. Um, he was some at the difference of when he's going, you know, I give I, I, I'm you know, you're going to close on time. Um, I, I give great service, yada, yada. That's what's called a first uh, person testimonial. Um, they're, they're kind of expected, um, because actually if you, if you aren't willing to say those things, it doesn't really give you a benefit if you do, but it's punitive if you don't, right? I expect you to believe in yourself, right? I expect you to be able to deliver. So it's not, you're not really helping me by saying that right now, a third party testimonial, um, both of these are forms of what's called social proof, right? So this is kind of like the category of marketing these fall under, um, and people need social proof generally to be able to make a buying decision because humans, uh, are inherently uh, of a herd mentality. And we like to go where we can see others can safely go, right? Kind of goes back to that whole berry bush. If we see other people eating it and they don't die, they don't get sick, which it's okay. I, I'm willing to eat from the bush. So that uh, uh, third party testimonials will always trump a first party testimonial. Um, and the more legitimate you can make them, the better, right? So for instance, if I say, if I just put a, a picture to give you a pain an example here, uh, obviously hammer, I wouldn't do this because it wouldn't be beneficial. <laughs> you know, we could, if I just put a picture of five stars and then say, Preston was great to work with Paul. Well, who's Paul, Paul who, right? It's not very believable, right? Uh, I could manufacture that. That's easy to fake right now. I could say, you know, Paul Brown. Okay. Well, Paul Brown from where Paul, right? So it's like, okay, Paul Brown from Tacoma, Washington. Okay. Well now, Right. And so this is why, like, even in our, when we leave social proof uh, uh, for Goodbye Squad, I'll add the NMLS number. I got nothing to hide. Right. And so the higher credibility that you can give to the testimonial, the higher the credibility that testimonial gives to you. Right. The, the you know, uh, a photo is going to work better than no photo. A video is going to work better than a photo. Right. If you can get the person's full name, where they're from. Right. Or, or if it's a real Google profile, because you can click on it. Right. It's like, OK, well, these add validity. These add authenticity to this. So those are healthy forms of social proof. And the more real and tangible you can make it, the more it can engage more senses of the audience watching it or viewing it. Um, obviously, the better off you'll be. I'm always a big supporter of video in that capacity. If you can get a video testimonial now, obviously Google is going to be text, but, um, either form I'll take it. Um, cause you can deploy them in different applications, right? You could get both, right? So if you get a, a Google review from, from somebody, it's not to stop you from going, Hey, you know what? That was actually, I love the way you said that. Would you be cool to shoot a video saying that, that I could put on my website? They serve different purposes. They're both social proof though, right? So, right. and then the other the, the other thing Hammer was talking about is like, you know, you can have a book and I, you know, I wrote this book uh, uh, or I was seen on Forbes, right? Whatever the case might be. These are a concept called manufactured celebrity, right? So they're a way of positioning yourself in a marketplace to create an expert effect um, so that you're not seen as, I mean, it's really a decommoditizing yourself in an otherwise commoditized market because, um, you know, one of my mentors, Dan Kennedy, he talks about um, if you get a recommendation from some doctor that you've never heard of at a hospital about treatment for a problem you're encountering, yeah, you'll you'll you may do something about it. If you work with a specialist that you were referred to by somebody who's worked with them previously, you're much more likely to work with them. 
Um, but it, you know, if Dr. Oz says, you know, hammer, this is the recommendation for your treatment. While, yeah, we could go, well, he's a TV star. Why would I, but you'd be surprised how much weight and authority that carries the credentials to be able to even make it that far. Now, Dr. Oz may not be more qualified than the expert that you were referred to, but there is a segment of the market that because of the authority and the credibility established, will go, you know, I'm going to work with him, right? And so it's important to find ways to create that for yourself, whether it's social proof and third-party testimonials, whether it's manufactured celebrity books, you know, uh, uh, as seen on, you could create a podcast, for instance. I mean, there's so many ways to create an expert situation for yourself. And th while this is kind of an organic side to brand presence, I think it's very well married with a lot of what Hammer's been talking about on, you know, creating that credibility through social proof, through leveraging these relationships you've already built, you've already worked with these people, they had good experiences. So you need to distribute that information as widely as possible. And if you can maximize your social proof, there's really not too much. Like I've never seen a time where it's like, okay, we're done getting social proof. It's like, no, when I get 100, I want 200. When I get 200, I want 500. Like the, the more, the merrier, right? Um, I think that it's about having balance. If you have too many five stars, and I'm not going to fabricate a one star. If you're so good, nobody leaves you less than five stars. Then Mazel Tov, you figured out the secret to life. But it's like, honestly, the part of the trick is I've seen people throttle. They're asking for reviews because they got a one star. And it's like, no, full speed ahead, baby. You, if you hit a speed bump, that's a sign you're moving forward, right? And so it's like, don't let the one star stop you from asking for the next five star because that's where it becomes detrimental and a death blow to your social proof is you, if you got 500 people to ask for a review, guess what? Here's the news. You got at least one one star review in there. That's doing business, right? You're going to have somebody that doesn't like you for whatever reason because you said the sky was blue, right? And now they don't like it. Right. So, so that's like you just got to accept the fact that if you're having success on any real level, if you're pushing the bounds, if you're actually helping people and you're getting out there, there will be one star reviews and that's OK. It's a part of the game. So, um, Hammer, in closing, we've been talking for a while. Uh, I just want to ask, um, you know, I know you're I know you're pretty well read. I know you're pretty educated. Uh, I, I know that you have a team that supports you and provides information. What is a book or a resource that you feel uh, um, for, for people in this industry should be required reading um, to be successful uh, in this endeavor? Now, it's funny that you asked that because I, I have a couple of books on my desk. I'm going to grab the three books that are here. Perfect. Three books. We're in for a treat. There's three, right? So though the first one and the one that I think everybody needs to have, and I got this from my daughter, is Dad Jokes. The Essential Compendium of Dad Jokes. That's awesome. Compendium, rather. The Essential Compendium of Dad Jokes. Because you got to keep humor in life. Yeah. And, you know, yes, I'll, I'll give you the business book next. But you know what? <laughs> For sure, it's amazing to me. I'll read a couple of these and they make me smile and they put the perspective back in the day. Um, as far That's as awesome. one, for every originator, I, everyone fights being a salesperson. Yet you don't realize if you are originating, you are a salesperson. It's what you do. Now, in the late 80s, and this is a guy that's since passed away, there was a guy named David Sandler, and he created what they call the Sandler System of Selling, and he uses a submarine along with alliteration, a lot of S's there. Um, but, da but David Sandler, he has a book, and it's still out in print, and it's called You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Seminar. 
Now, there's a lot of business books out there, but this is one good old fashioned sales book. But what I love is I I got into the the, the world of business with uh, Electrolux, selling vacuum cleaners door to door. So I know sales, right? And a lot of times the reason people don't like the idea of salesperson is they think of what we call caveman selling. And Tom Hopkins, who I think is a fantastic sales trainer, um, Tom Hopkins used to teach a method. And, and unfortunately, you know, the world has moved on. It's, it's more of caveman selling, but that had things like alternative choice, you know? Well, Preston, would you rather have it in blue or in red? You know, right. we're assuming the sale and always option closing and right. So, and those those had a time and a place in the Benjamin Franklin clothes and what what everybody should read this book. You can't teach a kid to ride a bike in a seminar. What Sandler did is he actually focused on the psychology and neurolinguistic programming of selling, and this will break down in a <laughs> very very easy way for people to understand and in a fun way, it's still funny. And I still actually read this book is five steps to help you master the selling dance. And right now with rates being all over the place, this is a conversation that, you know, originators are having and they don't realize that what you're selling, you have to sell the fact that it's a good time to buy a home. You have to sell the fact that rates are not going to drop to 3% again tomorrow. You have to sell a lot of different. So, so these are things to realize that there is a dance to this conversation. You know, what What I did after the cookie crumbled, the evolution of a training program, conditioning yourself for sales success, break the rules and close more sales, what you know can hurt you, so dummy up. We, you know, again, that's one of the things, as, as you've heard in the last 48 minutes, I love to talk. But yet, when it comes to selling time, one of the best things you can do is be silent. Ask a question, let them respond. Don't talk. Mm -hmm. So anyway, this book, I think, is one of the ones people should read. There's two things specifically I want to focus on. There is what's called an upfront contract, which I'm sure is referenced in here somewhere, and negative reverse selling. These are two concepts you want to read with. You can't teach a kid to ride a bike at a seminar. That's awesome. And one of one of the books that I'm that I'm uh, I started reading and didn't finish because I have ADHD and that is my like sixty percent is my magic number um, because I and then I'll go back and finish something. So someone that we both know very well in the industry, Christine Beckwith, Finding yeah. Honor: The Journey to Truth, mm. another great book. Um, Christine is is a wonderful person in the industry, and uh, you can you know a lot of people will learn a lot by reading some of her work. So there you go. If you don't mind, I give you. I love it. Yeah, Christine's a, a beautiful soul. I, I I got love for for that woman. She's a. Uh, um, Everybody that knows her is better for knowing her. You know, it's you can't say that for everybody. You and I reconnected at her event last season, last year, and uh, at at her twenty twenty Vision Success Summit. Yeah, she does a great event. She's uh, she's a great host. She's she's brilliant. Um, has an awesome program. So I actually I I went through Finding Honor. I, I got a bunch of copies for my team when she released it. Um, great book, phenomenal book. She has such a good story. Um, you know, and she's seen. I mean, you have too, obviously, with your journey. It's like she's seen so much. She's like, she's lived multiple lives in this industry, you know, which is, I think, a beautiful perspective to be able to pick from. Um, so, well, cool. Um, Hammer, this has been fun. Um, you know, I, I feel like you and I could talk forever. We'll have to do another one of these sometime. Um, what, what I would like to do is, you know... Um, I mean, obviously, I, I'm a fan of what you're doing at Originator Success, um, and you know, you have your your rate update service, uh, text alerts. I, I believe is what it is. Um, why don't you just talk for a minute about um, 
how people how people can reach you if they're looking for some help in these in these departments um, and some of the things that you guys are doing to solve problems for loan officers. Awesome. So at Originator Success, like we talked about, we take everything that you know we were talking about on this last 40, 40 something minutes and we do it for you. Everything is turnkey. We went from trying to teach people to do it to realizing that everyone gets distracted or busy and they don't complete the task like me. So we do it for you. It's all turnkey. And we've got, you know, a, a whole a whole platform where we actually go through and, you know, either optimize your online branding, your online profiles, or set them up if they're not set up correctly or if they're not set up at all. Uh, that's all part of our service. We have an ongoing because again, we talked about how Google's changing, Facebook's always for sure. changing these platforms. Always are always updating. So we're constantly updating. We're posting relevant, fresh content. Uh, we're generating reviews. We've got review campaigns that are very, very successful, generating reviews from past clients. If you haven't been doing it for the last five years and you've been in the business, no problem. We'll go back and we'll get those reviews for you. If you're just starting, you know, getting reviews now and you can start from now moving forward. So we've got all that built in. We also post that content. We've got some email campaigns. We provide a website as part of our platform because that ties different things together. And that's what we've learned is kind of what are the element, you know, what are the key elements to getting loans from being found on Google and social media? If you'd like to learn more about that, we have a demo on demand. Uh, you can go to originatorsuccess.com. We, we, you know, we ask you for your user or for your user, for your name and your, your, your phone. Uh, we don't even have any active salespeople follow up or anything. We just like a record and you could check out, you know, what it is that we do. And then for anybody that wants more information, we didn't talk about rates today, but a lot of people do know, hey, I've heard that hammer guy, he talks about rates all the time. They're welcome to catch me on Facebook Live, um, you know, on my own personal domain, uh, as well as like the Originator Success page, or you can also sign up for our email. We have a free email that we do each and every weekday at www.ratelockadvice.com. It's ratelockadvice.com. It's free. And then we also have a seven dollar a month text alert service. That's ratetextalerts.com. So, well, that's it. Those it's, are, it's, uh, guys, it's yeah. I mean, I'm gonna be honest. I don't. I don't often. I don't often exert energy to to promote other people's stuff. But dude, seven bucks. Like, I'm gonna be honest. If you get one loan in the next forty years, it pays for itself. You know, it's just protecting pipeline, making you sound good. We sure reviews. I do it. You know that that's obviously that's not going to you know pay for anyone to go to college when we're doing them at that price. It's really just there to help originators because they, you know, I think that you do need like we started this call with. You know, you need to have other people looking out for you. You know, for sure. being an originator today is a challenging job. Um, it, it's it's too much to ask of yourself to be the grand marketer, to be able to set up all these lead generation programs and systems like, you know, Good Vibe Squad does. You know, for an originator to try to build that, not even counting trial and error, but just for them to build what you guys have put together, you know, would, would take you know, you've been doing it for five years and then to bring it to where it's at today to make it successful. And, yeah. you know, you and I know we're constantly... It's not that we're we're failing, but we're making little small failures. We see what, what could be improved on, if you will, and we're always improving. So, you know, paying somebody else to do these things, the text alerts are just another thing where it's just hey, letting you know what's going on each day and with rates in the markets, like, you know, and, and helping you to have that conversation with a consumer or real estate agent. No, it makes a lot of sense, man. I like it. Awesome. Well, Hammer, um, thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate you hopping on the Lensetter Show. Everybody, uh, that's Hammer J. Elmer of Originator Success. I will drop the link to his website. If you want to learn more about him and what he's doing to help loan originators, feel free to check it out. 
And uh, once again, Hammer, thank you for uh, you know joining us today and uh, hopping on the Lensetter Show. Thanks again for having me, Preston. Take care. Awesome, man. Yeah, take care.